The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, an important lesson when it comes to reading the Scriptures is don't treat the Bible like it is the dictionary. Don't pull out just a random verse and just read that random verse out of context to drive meaning out of it. With the exception of the Proverbs, most the Bible generally is very, the meaning of a passage is dependent upon what happens before and after it. Context is important. When we read Bible verses without knowing the context, we set ourselves up for bad teachings, and some of those teachings can shipwreck your faith, actually. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is an event that is important to understand within context. Now, in the, God, the way you heard it read a little bit ago, it says, Now, when Jesus heard about the death of John, if you were to read that in the straight-up text, it would say, Now, when Jesus heard about this, well, if you read that, your first reaction should be, what's this? What is this referring to? And there it says right there, the death of John the Baptist. Jesus just got that news. The news that John, the man who was selected, who was chosen, to be the forerunner to the Christ, the forerunner to the Messiah, the one of whom Jesus says no greater man had been born of women than John. Him who said of Jesus when he came to the Jordan, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Him who baptized Jesus. John, who leapt in the womb of his mother at the presence of Mary, who was at the time pregnant with Jesus. John, who was only six months young, older, sorry, six months older than Jesus, and was indeed his cousin. That John is the one he learned had died. And he didn't die from a disease. He did not die from a tragic accident, which all of those are reason to grieve. But John died as part of a party favor. Because Herod, the tetrarch, the king, or the, the ruler over Judea, he, he was in a relationship with his brother's wife, Herodias. And then Herodias' daughter pleasured him with a dance. And her dance wasn't like uh, my little teapot. It was a very, it was definitely a seductive dance. Remember, that's his niece that pleasured him with a dance. 
And after that dance, he said, because of this, I will give you anything up to half of my kingdom. Which, granted, he can't really do that because it's not really his kingdom. It belongs to Caesar. But he wants to show off, show off his wealth and show off his joy of what he saw. And her requ the request of the mother given to the daughter was the head of John the Baptist. That's how John died. And why was he in prison? Now there's, in the Bible miniseries, by the way, if you're, if you're looking for a good way to learn the Bible, don't use the Bible miniseries. It's a good way to make sure you know the Bible entirely wrong. So only watch it if you don't want to understand the Bible. But anyways, in the Bible miniseries, they have the part with John in the prison. And the whole reason that they had that John was in prison was because he was standing up against the oppression of the government. He was a freedom fighter type thing. Reality? He was in prison because he spoke against the, the relationship between Herod and Herodias. That's why he was in jail. Because he spoke, spoke against adultery. You know that very thing that people say Christians should stop talking about? That Christians shouldn't talk about divorce, shouldn't talk about living together outside of marriage, shouldn't talk about gay marriage. All of those are adultery issues. You know those issues? That's why John was in jail. That is why he was beheaded. So that is the context of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus, Jesus just got that news. And so he withdraws himself. He goes to be alone because if you heard that kind of news, and especially you're talking about Jesus, Jesus understands that death was not meant to be. And he understands that Jesus, that John was killed for preaching something that's very, very small compared to the things that he's going to tell his disciples to speak about. And so he goes to, him to be by himself. Interesting fact about the feeding of the 5,000. It is the only miracle outside of the resurrection itself that is recorded in all four Gospels. So we have quite a bit of details on it. And so these people, when John died, John had many followers. When he was killed, they became, as it says in the Gospel of Mark, like sheep without a shepherd. And they began to look, and they looked straight to Jesus. They looked to Jesus because they knew of the miracles and the wonders he had been doing. They looked to Jesus because John said to look to him. And so they came to him by the thousands. And so Jesus had them, made them sit down in the grass next, next to that sea, but next to the still waters. And he began to comfort them with his words. 
He preached to them, the other Gospels tell us. I don't know, we don't know what he said. You can only imagine the words that he said. All we know is that he spoke to them. He preached of his, his own words to them. And then as the day got late, they realized it was, they needed to go back to the towns to get some food. But Jesus knew it was not time. They needed more of his word. And so he turns to the disciples and tells them to give them food. And he sa- they say, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. And by the way, the loaves of bread, this isn't country hearth loaves of bread. This is more like little itty bitty ones that you could basically feed like two people on one loaf. So they had enough food to feed really 10 people. Definitely not 5,000, plus the women and children. Estimates I've heard are up to 11,000 was the actual number. So 11,000 people, they have five loaves of bread and two fish. You know what the disciples do wrong? They don't, they should have said, as soon as they said, they said, Jesus, this is what we've got. So what are you going to do? They didn't say that. They just were like, this is impossible. We're going to have to send them back. I mean, Jimmy John's hasn't been invented yet. So we got to send people up. Instead, and so Jesus took the bread and the other gospels. It says that he gave thanks. The Greek word that is used there is oikaristo, which if you ever, any of you know what, a cat, what the Catholics call the Lord's Supper? The Eucharist. Some will say Mass, but Mass actually refers to the entire service. But Eucharist. Eucharist is a Greek word that we Lutherans, actually, many Lutherans like too because it just sounds cool. But Eucharist just means give thanks. And the reason they call it that is because our Lord Jesus Christ in the night when he was betrayed broke, took bread and he gave thanks. The Greek word there is oikaristo or English Eucharist. That same word is used there. Jesus, point, the scriptures pointing forward to that event. And he divided the food amongst the crowds and they had their fill as he continued to teach them. Now think about that. He made them sit down on green grass. There are besides still waters. He prepared a table before them. He comforted them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. John had just died. He preached to them and they had a meal. By the way, those images I just conjured up, did that sound like Psalm 23? And where do you hear Psalm 23 and where do you hear a sermon and have a meal after someone dies? A funeral. The feeding of the 5,000 is the funeral for John the Baptist. See, that is what, it, what is going on in that point. They have turned to, they've done exactly 
what we are supposed to do when we grieve. They turn to Christ. They hear his word. Because his word is the rod and staff that comforts us. His word is the only thing that gives hope. That's why when you have a funeral, it's very, very, very important. Remember, every one of us, I'm going to let you into a secret, every one of us is probably going to have a funeral. I've heard the mortality rate is still 100% of the world. So for all humans, male, female, white, black, you know, whatever, we are all, we are all going to die one day. And so when that time comes, be absolutely certain that your service, that the pastor is giving a service that's going to not preach about you. Because you are not going to give anybody comfort. Because you'll hear all about the life that, that you might have had. And all they're going to hear, if that's all they hear, they're like, oh, that life has come to an end. And I don't get to see them anymore, ever again. No, you want to make absolutely certain that they hear as much about Jesus as they can. Because the thing is, is Jesus is the reason why there is hope at a funeral. He is the reason that though that person that is lying in a casket, or if they're in an urn, if they've been cremated... Even that ash on the last day because they believed in Christ, that, that ash will be turned into a glorified body. Yeah, that's kind of awesome when you think about that. Remember, it's no big deal. Jesus created us out of dust. Or God created us out of dust in the first place. So, even the cremated, Jesus, God is the ultimate puzzle maker. Out of ash, he makes a human. And out of the ash, out of our bodies, our bones, whatever they may be, he will make us into a glorified body on the last day. And that is all on account of Jesus who died on the cross. The one who speaks. He is the, Lord, he is the one who is the shepherd on account of whom we shall have no wants. He is the one who sets us down in green grass. He is the one that leads us beside still waters. He is the one that prepares a table before us. He is the one on account of whom our, the cup overflows. He, there's a, in the reading, I mentioned that word Eucharist. Jesus is pointing to the Lord's Supper. Now beyond the funeral, we keep going to the church. We keep seeking to hear God's word. One of the greatest mistakes a person could do when they're grieving is withdraw from the church. The reason is they will argue is that they miss the person. And so they can't go to the church because that reminds them of them. And that may be true, and I'm not trying to minimize that emotion. But I mentioned at the very beginning of the service that preface. 
We say it is meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and at all places give thanks to you, old father, then accept yada, yada, yada changes each week. And eventually we say, therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, this reflects a text from Hebrews 12 where it says, You have come to Mount Zion to, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, when you come up to the Lord's Supper, you come up to this rail, we kind of have, we have a little bit of a square thing. Some churches have a curve. And when you come up, you'll hear these words, take, eat. This is the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take, drink. This is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you eat and drink, you are united to Jesus. The person who is next to you is going to hear those same words. And they too are united to Jesus. And the person next to them and the next to them, etc., etc., are all united to Jesus through that heavenly meal. Well, they're united to Jesus, and you're united to Jesus. Guess what? You are united to one another. If you ever hear people say that the Lord's Supper is just between me and God, first thing you say, oh, really? Can you find me a Bible verse to back that one up? Because it doesn't say that. In fact, we call it communion. Very similar to a word called community. Have you ever heard of a community of one person? No, and if they are, they probably need mental health. Communion means common union. Many becoming one by the body and blood of Jesus. See, you are part of what is known as the church militant. You are those who are, remain on this earth with one task. To spread the kingdom of God. To point others to Jesus because this world is full of grief, full of hopelessness. And so we point them to the one who is full of hope. We point them to the good shepherd. But see, this is just half of a box or half of a circle. On the other side of it, there's John the Baptist who is beheaded. He too is united to Jesus. And so is Peter, James, John, Philip, Andrew, Bartholomew. All of them are united to Christ, and you are united to them. It gets even a little bit be even better. Back in May 1st of 2012, call day, I got the news early that morning that my grandfather had passed away. So on that day that everyone is getting excited to get their first calls into the ministry, 
I remember the grief of hearing, thinking of the fact that my grandfather had passed away and I was 12 hours away and I could not be with my family. Few, few, few years later, May again, my uncle Howard, who was very, very supportive throughout my years in seminary and my, years as a, my first few years as a pastor, he died of bone, bone cancer. See, both of them died in the faith. And guess what? They're also on that other side, united to Jesus, and I united to them. Therefore, the angels and archangels with all the company of heaven, the company of heaven, the innumerable, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to the righteous made perfect. Those are those who have died in the faith. I challenge you this morning, you come up to the Lord's Supper, close your eyes just for a moment. Think of that person that you miss that has died in the faith and know that they, members of the church triumphant, are there at the altar with you. We confess in the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. That, when you miss someone, when we withdraw ourselves from the church, we withdraw ourselves from the supper, we are withdrawing ourselves from the very means that God has given us to be with those who we love who have passed away. They're not in the grave. Not yet. Their, their soul and their body are going to get united eventually, but they're not going to be in the grave. They're going to be in there just to wake up. But they are with Christ. That's who we are with. When the crowds grieved the death of John, Jesus gave them his word. Yes, he fed them the bread, but the bread that mattered the most is the bread of his word, by which we are gained life, by which we are given comfort, by which we who are weary and heavy laden are given rest. As you are grieving, turn to your shepherd. Turn to your Lord who has conquered death. Because only there is their hope and comfort. Until the day when our bodies rise, to our good shepherd be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.